0: 2 Corinthians tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter two, and uh, continuing our series we just started last week through the book of 2 Corinthians, and so much good stuff in here. And uh, last week, uh, you know, we covered the first chapter and you know a lot of introductory stuff that we see in there. But um, you know, we were talking about this morning in Sunday school how in a lot of these letters sometimes it's real easy to. You know, normally when you hear something preached from one of Paul's letters, usually only a few verses are read. Maybe, you know, go through a whole chapter, but a lot of times, you know, when, we, when you look at the whole letter and you try to get the big picture, you know, this is one letter that he wrote, and a lot of times there was kind of a main idea, there was a main purpose. While there was all kinds of stuff he threw in there, different things he was trying to teach them, there was really kind of, you know, one original purpose, for the letter and First Corinthians, a long time ago we did the study through First Corinthians, and as I've been studying Second Corinthians, it's kind of helped me understand some of First Corinthians a little better. And I think I got, I, I figured out that I never really noticed before what the whole purpose of First Corinthians was. It seems like there was, and this is opinionary okay so just take it for what it's worth this is my opinion it appears that there was i think one major thing that motivated paul's letter in first corinthians there was there was kind of one thing and some things we see here in chapter two i believe are uh, referring to something that we see in first corinthians it's not super clear it's not real specific, and so it's one of, this is one of some of these things that we're going to look at. You know, If you don't see the same thing I see in it, I'm not going to get mad at you on it. But either way, there's some clear things in here, and there's a lot of great lessons that we can learn. And so we're going to start reading in verse 1 of chapter 2, and it says, But I determine with this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote the same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. So right here we see Paul. Uh, he's before in chapter one. You know he talked about just some of the difficult things we go through about some of the trials, the tribulations that we face as Christians. Paul talked about how when they were at Ephesus how. Uh, it, got to where they despaired even of life. And we looked at that story in Acts. I believe he was referring to when the people started chanting that, you know, great is Diana of the Ephesians or whatever. And a very discouraging time for them. And Paul had a lot of, you know, he went through a lot of battles, didn't he? He faced a lot of hard times. But I think in this in this book, you really can got, kind of get a good look at the heart of, of a pastor, someone like Paul, that just uh, of a just a great minister, just his heart for people, how he felt, and this is good because you know a lot of times people they get really bad opinions and impressions of pastors because of some of the things that they have to do, it's because of some of the things that they have to preach. Sometimes they preach on things that. Aren't pleasant. Sometimes they might even have to, you know, get real specific and pointed and maybe even need to call somebody out. And it's like people think preachers enjoy that kind of stuff. Now, I will admit, back when I used to teach at the school over at Lighthouse, you know, as a teacher, you know, you got to keep some discipline in the classroom, you got to keep the kids under control. And honestly, now, any of the kids from the school, then, if they heard what was about to come out of my mouth, They probably would laugh and not believe it, but I didn't want to be a mean teacher. I don't enjoy being mean. I don't enjoy that one bit. And I, I I can just, even though they can't hear me, I can hear them all laughing at what I'm saying because, you know, they could all tell you some stories about things I would do, uh, you know, to punish them or whatever. I would get kind of creative sometimes. I do the same thing with my own kids, and I used, I used to tell them. Listen, I don't want to be mean, but here's the thing. I'm the teacher. I have to keep you guys under control. I have to sometimes, you know, discipline and things. And if I'm going to have to do that, if I have to do something like that that I don't want to do, I'm going to enjoy it a little bit. And so, you know, I, I, I get creative sometimes. And, uh, you know, and most of the kids, too, you know, the kids all love my punishments. Not when they were getting it, when I was giving it to somebody else. Because I'd come up with some pretty creative things to teach them lessons. You know, one thing I would make them do, if they would track into the schoolroom, which would be, you know, very common sometimes, I would make them scrub the floor singing. Sing Sweet Nightingale, which Cinderella sings, scrubbing the floor in the cartoon, and you know, stuff like that. And, uh, of course everybody enjoyed it unless they were the one doing it. But that's the kind of stuff I'll do. If I gotta do this, I'm gonna enjoy it. And I think sometimes preachers, you know, they know they have to preach certain things, and so maybe they get a little crazy, maybe they do a little bit of yelling and hollering, and maybe they even seem like they enjoy being mean sometimes. But maybe they just have that attitude like me. They don't wanna do it. But if they're gonna to have to do it, they're gonna enjoy it a little bit. So they're gonna get up and they're gonna, they're gonna have fun with it and yell and scream a little bit. And that's fine. But Paul here, we really see his attitude and he's talking about, you know, he's got things that are bothering him. He's got things that are hurting him and he did not want to come sorrowful to them. And we see here based on what he says in these first three verses, much of his joy that he got came from seeing them joyful. That was what pleased him. Was them being joyful, and I'm telling you right now as a pastor, it blesses my heart when you all are blessed being in church. I mean, when you get a blessing, that blesses me. When you know, when you're glad to be in the house of God, when you're you know, when you're enjoying it, I enjoy it a whole lot more. It's just, I think probably any pastor would say that. And he didn't want to come sorrowful. Hey, I have bad weeks myself. I have bad days, but. If you all are in a bad mood and sad, it's not going to help me out. But and so I'm not going to get up here and just start singing the blues to all of you because I'm going to get you in a bad mood and then I'm going to be in an even worse mood. And so, you know, I'm not trying, you know, it's not about like we're trying to be fake, but we want to encourage. We want to be a blessing because ultimately we get blessed by that and, you know, the joy of others brings us joy. And one thing that we ought you know, we ought to want to bring joy to other people. We ought to want to make church better for other people. We ought to want to bring joy to God. And really the, the main title of my message tonight is being a sweet savor to God. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, also a writing of Paul, you don't have to turn there, but he says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Okay? And we're going to see a little bit more about that later in this chapter but that sacrifice okay many times in the Old Testament some of the sacrifices that they did they you know they would offer some sacrifice on the altar of incense and they would they would burn these things it would make a smoke and it, it smelled good I guess you know I kind of wish we could kind of go sometimes and I' thought about looking and seeing if there's ways you can find the ingredients for those things that they did back then and so we could do it and see what it smells like but I didn't know if that would be sacrilegious. <laughs> but uh, you know, but that smell, it was, it was pleasing to God. It gave Him a good feeling. We talked a little bit about that in Sunday school this morning. And there are things that when God sees us do it, it, does, it brings pleasure to Him. Just like that sweet smell. And we're going to see what that is here in a little bit. But now look at verse 4. It says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you, with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. And I believe here, he's beginning to refer to the first letter that he wrote. And does anybody remember the first letter he wrote? He was kind of mean in there, wasn't he? I mean, he got real specific. He called them out on some things. And we're going to look at one of those passages here in just a little bit. But I mean, he flat out called them out. On something that was going on in that church. And when you read it, it's like, man, Paul was being mean. But here we see that when Paul wrote that, while when we look at the words, it sounds mean, he wrote this crying. Okay? And understand that that is, I believe, the heart of a pastor. Whenever he does have to, you know, maybe get mean and maybe do some rebuking, while he might not be crying right there at the moment. You know, you don't know what there may have been tears shed before. Maybe tears shed in preparation. You know, we don't know, but here we see that Paul, when he wrote that letter, it was with tears. I mean, his heart was heavy. Verse five. But if I, but if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I might not overcharge you all. He, right? I believe he's saying, you know, there's, he's pointing out, you know, it wasn't all of you, okay. I don't want to overcharge you. I don't want to get on to everybody. Okay, sometimes that happens. Maybe there's one person in the church they're kind of causing all the trouble. They're the ones that are, I mean, that need really need the message. And sometimes as a pastor, you got to be careful that you don't preach that message so hard at that one person where you're almost nailing everybody else too. I mean, sometimes some people need to be yelled at, but maybe not everybody needs to be yelled at. And so, even though he wrote that letter to the whole church, he's wanting them to understand that you know, while there was grief, while there was pain that I had, you know, it wasn't from all of you. I don't want to overcharge you all, you know, but you know who it was. Okay? And then in verse 6, "...sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many." Now, can anybody think, just off the top of their head, what he's talking about here. What man was this that caused trouble? What man was this that brought so much pain to Paul's heart that hurt that church so bad? Because I personally believe I think he was one of the main motivations for Paul writing First Corinthians. Does anybody know who that man was? Yes, the one who had his father's wife. Go back to First Corinthians chapter five. First Corinthians chapter five. And I because You know, we're not going to go through all the things he talked about leading up to this, but I think Paul, when you read 1 Corinthians, a lot of the things he was saying led up to chapter 5, what he was about to call them out for. And then you'll, if you go into chapter 6, he talks about, you know, how to judge matters in the church. Why was he doing that? Because these people needed to know how to deal with that guy. And then chapter 7, uh, he talks about it's good for a man not to touch a woman, but to avoid fornication. He talks about, you know, having a wife. He's kind of reminding them of what, of how they're supposed to be morally, because they had a man in their church that had his father's wife. That was a very wicked and disturbing sin. Verse 5, uh, chapter five, verse one in First Corinthians, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. He's like, all right, he's calling them out. There's fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. You may remember I talked about this how imagine sitting there in church and maybe they get up and they're reading the letter to the whole congregation. And imagine if you're that guy in the congregation, hey, somebody in there has his father's wife. Well, everybody knows who that is. That guy, he knows who he is. And he tells them in that letter, you need to remove him from the church and then he goes on in chapter 6 to tell them how to do it. And I don't know. I just picture seeing that guy sitting there in the congregation and just kind of squirming a little bit, you know? And just and you know and they keep on reading and they see how you know how they're supposed to take care of these people and how they're supposed to deliver them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh and I can just you know you wonder what was going on and personally I think that guy probably got right Because look at verse, uh, go ahead and look at verse 7. Um, It says, So that contrarywise, or, uh, yeah, so that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Okay? There's something to forgive him. Now, this is a very important thing to do. Now, there's people out there that I know that. They're right in the middle of sin. They're right smack in the middle of doing something they know they're not supposed to do, and they have no intention of quitting. And then they like to demand of Christians that they forgive them. Okay? But here's the thing. You're, you're still doing it. Okay? You, now, if they stop, okay? If they quit doing that, like if that man, for example, I mean, what he did was terrible, but if he's continuing to do that, they're not supposed to say, alright, we forgive you now. We're going to act like it's just not happening. Do you think that's what Paul's talking about here? Obviously, this guy had quit doing what he was doing. They were not still living together or whatever. Whatever was going on had stopped. And he'd been removed from the church. And I believe Paul's saying here, you know what, he's been punished enough we don't want to overwhelm him with sorrow because here's the thing you know when somebody does get out of line in the church morally and they do need to be removed from the congregation we're not in the business of just trying to punish people to inflict pain on them the whole purpose of that is to is so they can get right with god and then they can be restored all right and so that's the goal we want to anybody you know that yet we ever have to kick out of here. And I hope we don't ever have to, but if we do, the goal is to get them back. Okay, That's what we want. And so, uh, I believe Paul was trying to tell them you know, how to handle it. And he says, Wherefore, verse 8, Wherefore I beseech you, that you would confirm your love toward Him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. He's writing them again. He's wanting to find out if they obeyed. And that he wants to, he wanted he wanted them first. In the first letter, he's telling him get him out of the church. The next letter, he's saying get him back in. Okay, he's been punished enough. He obviously had quit doing what he was doing. Now let's forgive him and bring him back. And I believe that should always be our goal. That should always be uh, the goal, the desire. He said, confirm your love toward him. Many times, people, whenever they do get ran out of a church, they are convinced. That everybody in that church hates them. And that shouldn't be the case. Okay? I mean, if that ever does happen, where you have to kick somebody out of the church, I mean, we ought to be crying about it. We ought to be devastated. I mean, just like if you had to kick your child out of the house. Okay? Hopefully, as a parent, you're gonna be sad by it. You know, hopefully that you know you're gonna be you're gonna be devastated that you had to do something like that. And it would be natural for you to feel that way because you love that child and we ought to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But at the same time, there are some things that are just not supposed to be named among the saints. Things that just can't be going on. And so, Paul here, he's kind of, we kind of see, he's reminding them of that letter he wrote before about what to do. And apparently they did it. And now he wants them, you know, get that guy back. He's suffered enough. We don't want to overwhelm him with sorrow. Make sure that guy knows that you love him and get him back into the church. And so Paul, you know, he we see in this passage we read how you know he was he was careful, okay? Even when he wrote that letter, even though it came off strong, he was being careful about how he came across to them. He didn't want to feel like he's overcharging them. He didn't want to feel like he's being overly harsh to everyone, especially those who hadn't really done anything and didn't deserve it. He didn't want them to take that rebuke that he gave them as being hatred, a lot of times people do. They think, "Oh, the preacher hates me." But no, that's not the case. If a preacher preaches against your sin, it's because he loves you, okay? and just like parents, you know they don't hate their kids when they're punishing them. They do it because they love them. And so Paul wanted them to forgive that man. He'd been punished enough, and we are we are about restoration, not punishment. And if we do punish at all, it's as far as we go is removing them from the assembly, and that's it. Okay. We're not going to go, you know, writing stories about them in the newspaper and egg in their house and, and you know gossiping and criticizing them. We're not going to do that. That's not the goal. And so then in verse ten, I love this passage here in verse ten. We talked about this a while back, but it says, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also, for if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it, in the person of Christ lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. In verse 10, he's saying there, if you forgive them, I do it too. You know, and what he was doing here, I don't want to preach another message I did a while back, but he was reminding the church of their ability and the authority that they had to forgive people of their sins. Okay? And once again, we don't believe like you know, in the Catholic church, you know, they can absolve you of your sins and offer that forgiveness. The sins that we do against God, it's God that can that forgive gives those. Okay, if someone's going to get saved, they need Christ's forgiveness. We can't give that on our behalf. Okay, but when it comes to what people do to us, when it comes to what somebody does to this church, we have the authority to forgive those people of those sins. If they, whatever it was that they did, we have the authority to say, you know what, we forgive you. We can restore them to the church and they can be as though they'd never done it. I mean and really that's what God does for us, isn't it, when he when he saves us. And God has he's commanded us to do that. And unfortunately, I feel like sometimes, you know, you have to twist people's arms to get them to forgive people, but what we ought to look at it as this great privilege that we have, this great authority that we have. You know, it's amazing how sometimes people let a little bit of authority go to their head. When you give it to them. You know, we all hate when policemen maybe step out of their out of bounds and, you know, overstep the authority that they've been given. We all hate that. right. But you know what? I've never seen a Christian overstep the authority that God's given them to forgive. You know, why aren't why aren't we anxious to do it? I mean if you did, if you just were granted this new authority that you had never had before, I mean you're gonna be kind of anxious to use it, aren't you? But why aren't we anxious to forgive people? God has given that, and we ought to anxiously want to do that, to just forgive people. I mean, when somebody sins, I mean we ought to just be looking and watching for them you know to ask for forgiveness. I mean as soon as they, you know, if they turn from that sin, or whatever, I mean, we ought to just be pounced on it, just ready to forgive them, ready to bring them back to the church. I mean, not, you know, we're we're not going to make them go through all these steps and tests to see if they really mean it. We're just anxious to forgive people. And Paul said, "Hey, if you forgive the, if you forgive them, I do too." You know why? Because he recognized the authority that they had to forgive him, and he was saying, "You know what?" And I I back that authority up. I'm going to do that. And he says, and I'm going to do it in the person of Christ. You know, God's on board with it when we forgive people. And so we ought to be anxious to do that. And then in verse 11, he says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. When we do not forgive people, we are putting ourselves in great danger as a church. Unforgiveness, I believe, is one of Satan's greatest traps. So we're not ignorant of his devices. We know what Satan uses. We know the traps that he has. We know how he likes to do these things. And Satan loves unforgiveness. He loves getting people angry at each other. He loves getting them bitter. Because here's the thing, if somebody does something to you that's wrong in the church, if somebody does something bad, you know how easy it is for Satan to get a bad spirit in the church? I mean, you can tell when there's hostility going on between people. And if Satan can... Get someone to do you wrong, and that's not hard. Okay? I mean, we we, do. we sin against people sometimes without even trying to. I mean, we sin against people we love dearly, don't we? I mean, hopefully, husbands and wives in here, you love each other, but I'm sure you probably sinned against each other before having it. And it's, we do, because we're sinners. It's very easy for us to make mistakes and to do things wrong, and if Satan can get us to not forgive others then he's i mean we've left him an opening now these are one of his traps and it will bring a bad spirit into the church okay and you get a bad spirit in the church people pick up on it quick i mean visitors will pick up on it you know, other people in the church that have no idea what's going on, they don't even know what happened, but they sense it. They can feel it. I mean, it's going to show in everything. It's going to show in the singing that goes on in the church. It's going to just show in little things, you know, and how you respond to people, how you look at each other, just your facial expressions. There are so many different things. And when a bad spirit comes in the church, man, it's, it's no fun for anybody. It's no fun for the people that are in the middle of the conflict. And it's no fun for the people that are on the outside Looking in, they have no idea what's going on. They just know something's wrong. And if Satan can get a bad spirit in the church, that church, it's not going anywhere. It also, when we don't have unforgiveness in the church, it steals the liberty from the church. You say, how, how does that happen? Okay, how, you know, how does unforgiveness steal that liberty in the church? Well, you know, here's the thing. When it comes to what we do or what we don't do, Our obedience to God, our obedience to His Word, you know, who are we really supposed to be trying to please? We're supposed to be trying to please God, right? And we talked about this a little bit this morning. We've talked about it before. A lot of times, you know, the culture that's in the church, you know, it's a lot of times people conform to it trying to please everyone around them. Maybe they'll dress a certain way because it's not because they're trying to honor God, it's because they want to fit in with everyone else. You know, maybe there are certain things that they do or don't do. They're just trying to fit in with the group. And it's very easy for that to happen in a church where people are doing the things they do because they want to please God. And maybe it can even get to the point where people will be show up for church because they're afraid of what everybody will say about them in the church. They're not, they're not showing up because they want to worship God, because they want to serve God. They're worried about what everybody else is going to say. And when you do that, now people are not doing what they're supposed to do because they love Christ, because it's what they believe. They're doing it because they're trying to avoid the pressure from everyone else. And now, people are doing some of the things that they're supposed to do grudgingly. They're doing it with a bad spirit. They show up for church. And they ought to be here because they love God and they want to please Him. But they are here because they don't want Brother Lonnie talking about. Him. I love using Brother Lonnie all the time as an example. I like you got to have somebody in the church that that you pick on all the time, and they know Brother Lonnie's going to be saying all kinds of stuff about him if they don't show up, and they're doing it for him. And it's and I love doing things because I know it's what I want to do. Okay. I know it's my choice I don't like being sentenced to anything okay I'm here as pastor of this church because I want to be here and I'm glad I don't this isn't something I had to do this isn't something that the Baptist headquarters assigned me to you know and told me you know you have to stay there for at least 10 years and no I'm here because I want to be and I'm glad. I want you to be here because you want to be, right? because you're trying to please God, and many times unforgiveness. People are like, man, if well, if I do this sin, they're not thinking I'm going to displease God. They're thinking I'm going to displease people in the church, and they're thinking about they're thinking about other people. They know, and they've they've heard how everybody talks about that person that missed church. You hear how everybody talks about that person that didn't do what everybody else thought they should do. And I'm telling you, boy, we don't want to bring that in this place at all. That is a very dangerous thing. And when we don't forgive people, that's going to, that that'll happen people start doing things for the wrong reason and as a result of that us not forgiving also us not forgiving people it takes away God's ability to forgive us of our sins if we forgive men their trespasses God will forgive us but if we forgive not men their trespasses God will not forgive us we're not going to go into all the many times that's repeated in the scriptures a lot of times we think God is obligated to forgive Whatever it is that we ask for, but we see in the Bible, there's really only one thing. You know, there's one disclaimer in there, and that if we don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive us. And so, if we're if we have an unforgiving spirit, when people do wrong, okay, here in this story, we uh, we've got a guy who did something really, really bad, okay. And what he did was really bad, but if the people didn't forgive him of that thing that was really, really bad. Well, God's not going to forgive, uh, you know, God might not forgive the people there for some of the smaller things that they did. They need, we need God's forgiveness on everything, from the big things to the little things, okay? I mean, the, the little things you did this week go wrong. You need God's forgiveness for those things. If you want God's blessing, and while maybe we don't have anybody in our church that has, you know, committed adultery with their stepmother. Well, we have other people that have done some smaller things that we still need forgiveness for. And if we're not forgiving people, their trespasses, God's not gonna be you know, he's not gonna look at us and say, Well, you know what, the thing that you forgave that you did wasn't near as big as that other guy's so no, do you understand what God forgave us when he saved us? We have no excuse to not forgive anyone. And we just need we just need to remember that and make sure we're always forgiving other people. And Satan, boy, he knows. He knows that if he can get us to not forgive other people, then God's not going to forgive us. And so then whenever we sin and we do something wrong and we deserve bad things to happen, well, you know Satan's going to be anxious to go ahead and make those things happen. And God's not going to stop him because God can't forgive us. So He's going to let whatever happen to us. So, I mean, just... Very, very dangerous, not forgiving. And so then, verse 12, look at verse 12. It says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. All right, and then look at this verse. This is a pretty well known verse here. It says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge of us in every place. And, um, and so right there, we see you know, Paul, he said, I went to go to Troas, but he was, he was disappointed Titus wasn't there. And when you look at this, basically, he's saying you know, there was a door opened. Paul saw a great opportunity to preach the Gospel there in Troas, but something in his spirit said, you know, something's wrong, I need to go on to somewhere else. And while it appeared to Paul, according to the way he saw things, he needed to stay at Troas. He was obedient to the Holy Spirit. And he went on into Macedonia, And then, which didn't appear like the right thing to do. that didn't appear to be beneficial. But notice what he says, "...but thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ Jesus." That's a very well-known passage of Scripture there. And what I believe Paul's saying here know he's reminding the victories we have as individuals, as a church, it's because of Christ, not because of us. A lot of times whenever people are blessed, they have a tendency to think, well, you know what? it's because I'm doing this right, you know. I mean you know how you know, how how did you get your, get your kids to turn out so good? Well, I'll tell you why you know I believe the Bible and I make sure I'm consistent across the board, and I do all these things you know, hey you know why is your church doing doing so good? well I'll tell you why you know i I do a lot of bible reading i i mean I preach the gospel like no one else, I do a whole lot of soul winning and I, I you know me and God were just like that, you know, and a lot of times we'll start talking about all the things that we do, but here when Paul says... Thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph. I believe what He's trying to tell us here is even when we have no clue what we're doing, we're not sure what to do, even when we might not even do exactly what we're supposed to do, God still makes us victorious sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, victories that we've had here at the church that I'm just going to be honest. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> you know, I, I can't really, you know, take the credit for it. You know, it's. I mean, you know, I have got an opinion on everything. I, I, I'll admit, I'll be the first one to admit it. But a lot of times, when I'm real honest and I try to think, you know, hey, how, you know, why have we been blessed in this area? You know, most of the time, God doesn't do things the way I think He should do them. Most of the time when I think, hey man, God's really gonna do something here because, man, we've done this, we've done that, man, we're gonna have a great day tomorrow. I mean, boy, you know, I went soul winning for three hours, you know, I did a lot of extra praying, I mean, I fasted, I did all these things, and, you know, nothing great really happens. And then there'll be another time where, man, I just, I got busy and I just really didn't have time to do anything and I didn't really do anything right, and then be real victorious. It's like what's going on. Well, I'll tell you what's going on. It's it's God that causes us this triumph. It's not our works that makes us triumph. It's not what we do that makes us triumphant, people. It's God that does these things. And Paul's saying, you know, we had great victory here, but it was God just made it happen. You know, I think what he's trying to say here is, yeah, great things happen, but it was God to do it. That's all I can say. He made us triumph. It had nothing to do with us. And then. He says in that passage uh, in verse 14, you know. now thanks be to God which always causes us to triumph in Christ and made manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. And then look at verse 15. It says, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life and who is sufficient for these things. For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Okay. And what I believe he's saying right here is our it's our obedience to God that brings God pleasure. God gets great pleasure when we're victorious. God gets great pleasure In blessing our lives, but you know what God does want us to be obedient, and it says here when He says, "For we are to God a sweet savor of Christ and them that are saved." God is pleased when we bring people to Christ. God is—I mean, God is pleased when He sees us give the gospel and when He sees people get saved. I mean, that is a just a sweet smell to God. It's pleasing to Him, but we also see that God's pleased. I believe when we preach to those who aren't going to listen, he says, to the one we are the saver of death unto death, and to the other the saver of life unto life. Okay, what's that talking about there? Well, I I believe that God is pleased I mean, you know, there are, there's missionaries out there that they go to parts of the world where I'm there's probably gonna be barely anybody that gets saved. I mean, there are some parts of the world where it is just hard to win people to Christ. But when God sees them preach the Gospel to a people that are not going to get saved, God is pleased by that. You know why? Because God who is holy, God who is just, one thing that He does for the world in His mercy is He sends them witnesses. We see guys like Ezekiel that He sent to Israel in the Bible and He told them, hey, these people aren't going to listen to you. But go tell them this anyway. And Ezekiel was obedient; he did what God told him to do, and, it did, and what God told him to do didn't really accomplish anything. But it pleased God because he was obedient. Because God is a holy God, He's a just God, and lost people need to hear the truth. Okay, God wants them to hear the truth, and when we preach the gospel, no matter who it is, I mean, we are pleasing God. A lot of times people think they please God more because maybe they see more people get saved. You know, Maybe because they get better results than someone else. And so they feel like, man, I must, you know, God must really be pleasing me. God's blessing me more. But God is pleased when, we, when people don't get saved and when people do get saved. Obviously, He wants people to get saved. But, when, but as far as we're concerned, we are pleasing God. We are bringing Him pleasure. We are a sweet smell to God when we give people the gospel, God's being merciful just by giving them a chance to get saved, and He's being holy and just by sending someone to warn them. And so we've gotta we've gotta do that. Even sometimes when you when you preach, sometimes people aren't gonna like it. Sometimes there's messages to get preached that that you know they have to preach that aren't really gonna accomplish anything. But you know what? I believe if I preach those things, I'm gonna be pleasing God because. I'm being obedient. I mean, God takes great pleasure in our obedience, and nothing pleases God more than seeing us and this is this is what it's all about is seeing us pass on what's been given to us. Okay, all these things that Paul talked about, he talked about the joy or you know the sorrow he had, but he didn't want to show he wanted to bring these people joy. He wanted you know he wanted to bring them pleasure because that's what brought him joy he was trying to pass something on to them okay he was trying the joy of the lord that he had he's trying to pass this on them he was trying to take what god had given him and give it to someone else when it came to preaching the truth that was something that somebody did to him he was trying to pass it on to someone else when it came to forgiveness that was something that god gave him and he was trying to pass it on to some someone else And that is what pleases God more than anything. When we take something that He has given us and we increase it by giving it to someone else. By passing it on to the next person, God is pleased with that. God forgave us and when we take that forgiveness and give it to someone else, it is very satisfying to God. It's pleasing to God. You know, it's... It's kind of like in your own children, for example. You know, Tommy, he's been kind of going through he's going through this Mr. Fix It stage. And I kind of like it. You know, he's you know he's picked up on some stuff working with me, and I'm not the most handy guy in the world, but you know what? He's starting to figure out how to put things together and how to fix things, and he's been doing some stuff around the house. And you know what? It's like, hey, you know, I gave him a little something, and now he's now stuff's getting done, and I'm not doing it. Boy, that's pleasing, isn't it? And you know, if he keeps it up, it won't take much. <laughs> it won't be long. He'll probably be better at it than I am. And when you teach something to somebody or when you give something to somebody and it increases into more, okay? When, if you go and you win somebody to Christ and then you see that person win more people to Christ, I mean, that's exciting. It's like fruit to your account and you didn't even really do anything. Okay? I, mean, I know Brother Eric you know, he's thrilled with Prince who you know Brother Eric led Prince to the Lord a long time ago and you know now Prince he's you know he's one of many people to the Lord and that is exciting when you give something to somebody and then they go on and continue giving it to, giving it to someone else and God well he's given us everything he's given us so much and when we take those things and pass it on to someone else, that pleases God like you wouldn 't believe and that 's what Paul was trying to do in all these things I mean God gave him joy he 's trying to pass on joy you know God gave him truth he 's trying to pass on truth God gave him forgiveness he 's trying to pass on forgiveness to these people you know he, he give, God had given him the gospel he gave them the gospel and he 's trying to get them to give the other people to other people the gospel God is pleased by those things we see Paul he talks about love okay, God gives us love when we Take that love, show it to others. Forgiveness, restoration, okay, you know, and preaching the gospel—all these things are things that Christ did for us. And boy, the joy that God gets when He sees us take those same things and pass it on to someone else—what a wonderful thing that is! Wednesday we talked about, you know, the passage. The Bible says, "Occupy till I come," and it's basically when He says "occupy," He's talking about taking the things that I've given. And increase them. God gave the servant, or the man, he gave the servants the talents. And he wanted them to go, and he said, I find all I come. And they went and they took those, and later when he came back, they had multiplied what they have been given. And unfortunately, many people today, many Christians, they've been given the gospel, but it stopped right there. They've, n- they've not given it to anyone else. You know, God's blessed them with all these things, and it stops with them all the time. You know, A lot of the things that I do around here, maybe some of the things I preach, some of the songs, the songs I sing, maybe even some of the jokes I tell to just try to be a blessing. Well, I got it from somebody else. They passed it on to me. And I'm passing it on to you to be a blessing. That's exciting. And we ought to want to pass something along to other people. You all have been given something. If you're saved, you've been given something wonderful. Pass it on. To someone else, and when you when you get to the point where you maybe see that person do the same thing, boy, there's just there's no greater joy than that. And so, I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll take these things to heart. Think about the things that you've been given. Think about how others have been a blessing to you, and say, you know what? I remember when they did this to me. I, I want to be, I want to be a blessing like that to someone else. I want, I want to. Increase that, you know. And I, you know, not trying to talk about myself or anything, but I remember when I started the church, I had several, you know, several preachers and I knew that, you know, around the time we started, you know, they just would send me text messages, let me know they were praying for me, let me know they were excited about what I did. And you know what? It blessed my heart when they did that. And I, you know, and as I was studying this, I was thinking about that last night, and I'm like, you know what? And I just I sent some texts to a couple church planners that I know. Brother Marty Montgomery just started his church a few weeks ago. Just let him know I was praying for him. Brother Nathan Barber over in Shorewood, uh, he's celebrating his two year anniversary. I uh, got got his uh, email about that, you know, just send him a text, let him know I'm praying for him. Why did I do that? I don't think of stuff like that. Somebody did it for me. And I like I wanna I wanna pass that on to someone else. If it blessed me, it would probably bless them too. And that should be our attitude. So I hope you'll do that. And if you do, you will be a sweet savor to God. You will bring Him pleasure. Just like you, maybe you smell that apple pie come out of the oven. You're just... Mm. get you excited. When we do these type of things, we bring that same pleasure to God. And that ought to be the desire of our hearts. So with that, let's all stand together.